Okay, today I'm chatting with filmmaker Mark Downs. He's the founder of the Green-Eyed Monster Film and Animation Company and focuses on content with an ethical, sustainable and purposeful theme that's used to drive positive messages about people and planet. Mark helps businesses and non-profits to use storytelling to share the impact they're creating. He's worked on some really cool projects, including working with Sir David Attenborough. We chat about that. And we also look at the production process and talk about the power of well-curated content. And we touch on where the sustainable development goals fit. So I hope you enjoy it. Here's my conversation with Mark Downs. Hey, Mark. Good morning. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Uh, hello, Matt. Yeah, I'm very good. Thank you. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. Yeah, I've been looking forward to chatting. We're, um, you, you do everything you do is very relevant to to everything I do and also love. So you know, um, sustainability, CSR, content creation, movie making. So um, yeah, a few things to dive into. I, I mean, actually, great. I suppose before before any questions, just to get a bit of an intro. I know you do. There's a number of different things you're involved in. Um, you know, predominantly green-eyed monster films. I think we got connected through someone on LinkedIn, actually, who was related to the UN SDGs. Um, but yeah, maybe just to give a bit of background to, to yourself, um, you know, what you do, uh, you, you know, your kind of day-to-day work would be great. Yeah, sure. Um, well, I'm, I'm originally from the west of Ireland, and I now live in London, and I've been working in and out of ad agencies, marketing, PR, film production for the last 15, 20 years in London. And um, one of the jobs that I have, and I've managed over the years, um, brings me to Cannes um, for the Cannes Lions Creativity Festival. And I, I technically direct a show there called The New Director Showcase, which celebrates emerging talent, which I'm a big champion of as well. But one year, a few years ago, um, they had a a guest speaker called Ban Ki-moon, who was the UN Secretary General at the time. And I was kind of perplexed, you know, I was like, why is the UN Secretary General in Cannes at a marketing convention? Um, And his keynote address was jaw-dropping to say the least. He um, told his life story from refugee to the top of the UN and kind of threw down a gauntlet. He was kind of like looking for agents of change. He talked about the UN Sustainable Development Goals, which I hadn't really heard about. And he saw that one of the problems with the SDGs and with the all of the world's problems, I guess, was communication and fast tracking the message through channels of content to eyeballs and ears and hearts and minds to try and get people um, educated about the problems and if they're educated about the problems they are in a position to act and to answer your question <laughs> it's um, it was around then that I started to see an opportunity for myself to use my skills and my network and my contacts contacts to kind of just um, start working for people that were already doing good things for people and planet so green-eyed monster films kind of was born out of that it was just a, turning that green lens on some stories and being kind of a monster in our passion and approach to try and kind of use a lot of you know high-end tech um, 
kind of, I don't know, just devices and abilities and cameras and methods to try and help NGOs and charities and educational platforms to try and communicate their message better. So that's basically what Greenlight Monster Films does. And me personally, I'm, I kind of introduced myself as a filmmaker because it's the shorthand for what I do, but you know, I direct, I write, I produce, I edit. Um, but yeah, I guess I'm a filmmaker. So does, does that does that bring you up to speed? It, that does very yeah you know good intro and, and makes sense and um yeah and I, I think you know to to agree with you I suppose such an important area this whole you know content we can't get away from it it's everywhere I mean I think you you know the whole Netflix phenomenon with with movies around this this type of content I don't even know what you would call it I suppose you know content about raising awareness for social and environmental challenges and 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 solutions but um yeah it's 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 a huge area you so you've been in it for a couple of years you've done some cool stuff you've been working what you've worked with david attenborough right you've noticed one of your your clips you've done a number of pieces how was that working with attenborough that that sounds to me like you know you've come from a filmmaker getting into the the kind of environmental social space and jumping right in the deep end with probably one of the biggest voices out there I, i would imagine um, yes, absolutely. Um, I um, well, I, I've been lucky enough to work with them a few times, and the first opportunity came um, when a charity approached a, another production company I was working for at the time and asked if we could help. And um, they wanted to make a film um, which was kind of promoting green landscapes in schools and built-up areas to kind of educate children about nature and its um, and its value. Um, and they had as their patron, Sir David Attenborough. And I said, well, you know, let, let's get him in the film. And they were like, no, don't be ridiculous. You know, he's just a patron. He's a patron to, you know, 200 plus organizations. He's not going to be in our film. And I said, well, if you don't ask him, you know, you're not giving him an opportunity to say no. So they, they asked him and he said, yes, which was amazing. Um, so we, we spent a day with them recording the VO and then we shot in a school and, um, yeah, it was it did not, like, you know, I did my research, I, you know, read autobiographies and, uh, and listened to a few Desert Island Discs. And one of the great <laughs> intros to him on Desert Island Discs was, you know, this man has traveled more of planet Earth than any other human being ever. Um, you know, when you think of Christopher Columbus or Marco Polo or any of those great adventurers, David Attenborough, just because he started doing what he did when commercial flight became a thing and he's just been. Um, so here is a man who's seen more of planet Earth than anybody else, and, and he's done more to promote it than anybody else, I can imagine. So, yeah, working with him was um, a little bit scary, a little bit daunting. Uh, he's a true gent. He's a consummate professional in terms of broadcasting. So when, when the client when the client asked me like oh you know what, what are you going to do he's he's here in five minutes you know how, how are you going to direct him and I was like well my plan is not to direct him my my plan is just to let David Attenborough be David Attenborough um, <laughs> and just make sure the cameras are rolling and get footage of him talking um, and that's pretty much what he did you know he was so good um, and I, and I sent him a gift afterwards just I do all I do I always do that with with, with people I work with and. Um, he sent me a, an amazing handwritten letter back um, thanking me for the gift and, you know, wishing me well with the film. And, you know, just, yeah, so even that handwritten letter coming in through the door, you know, it's probably one of my most prized possessions. Um, awesome. 
and then we we we, we continued to work and we would work together on another um, plastic oceans um series of films uh, the year before last um which is very much aimed teenagers um who and it's about explaining what plastic is um how useful it is where it originated from and how it's some become such a danger to our oceans um and and that film has now, well, there's three, a series of three films with uh, Sir David kind of topping, tailing them. And he just kind of, you know, you know, he just, again, sets out the stall very clearly about the importance of our oceans and why we need to look after them. And I just got a re request last week to have that film dubbed into a, a, a local Aboriginal language in Australia. So that continues to kind of travel the world, um, getting translated into multiple languages and educating teenagers. Um, and again, you know, one of the reasons I love doing what I do is I get to delve into different people's worlds, different charities, different NGOs, and really get a sense of who they are and what they're doing. And, and I'm educating myself about these issues and causes. And I think that's fundamentally why I got into filmmaking in the first place, because you do get to deep dive into other worlds and you're continuously learning um, about people and about subjects and, and, and about how you can use that medium of film to kind of um, educate people because it's a, such a powerful thing. You know, people would prefer to look at a three minute film than read a 20 page document. So. Um, and it's just about how, how, how you do that on, on a level that kind of engages audiences, whoever they are. That, yeah, it was interesting when you mentioned actually Attenborough, I was actually, I'd seen one of the, I think you sent me, I'd seen one of the short clips. I hadn't, so who'd you worked on a bigger project before? What a feature length. No, um, no, they've always been, it's always been short form content. It's all, you know what I mean? Three to 10 okay. minutes. So they're, they're definitely for, not for broadcast. It's definitely websites and stuff like that. So these that that you know I think good segue for a question really around the you know this this kind of short form content and you know we are like you say I mean people are so much more ready now to just you know, absorb a, a three minute video um, you know when they're looking on their iPhone but at the same time there have been these big uh, you know kind of I I, used, I said Netflix earlier and I forget the names although I've seen a number of them the the Ocean's one recently and there've been seaspiracy air and there was yeah there's the the meat well there are a number of them but do, i mean they do, do you see them as having a kind of intrinsically different job in terms of raising awareness that the netflix ones seem to create a you know movement and often a massive reaction in time you know it's like the seaspiracy why everyone was speaking for you know a couple of weeks and now it's like wow it's gone whereas the the, the short form stuff doesn't tend to you don't get that reaction but at the same time i i imagine it's propagated a lot more and maybe gets to more people do you see them as different having different roles different you know kind of jobs in the in the area of raising awareness and and helping to change behavior yeah it's a really good question because um i think you know what i mean that the, the the, the medium is so powerful and it needs to find an audience like getting a, a feature length documentary together and everything that goes with that in terms of funding and broadcast deals and partnerships and territories, it can be a much bigger beast. Um, and it definitely has its place. Um, 
the you know and, and i think people do watch more of these things you know you know 10 years ago the idea of a, a documentary about the natural world being a hit on netflix or any kind of in the cinemas or wherever it was you know what i mean it just it, it wouldn't have you know um floated it wouldn't have happened um but more recently there's a, a, another um platform called water bear network which is specifically designed and it's a very clever um setup where you can kind of you know you watch a documentary about a cause or a campaign and they actively encourage you if, if you if you've been moved by the documentary they allow you and they give you you know um facilitate you connecting with the charity involved and allow you to donate and stuff so they've kind of joining up the dots a little bit more than netflix where you just watch it and you go oh wow that was amazing and then don't do anything so it's a little bit further uh, water bear and they're only a year old or something and, and they're doing amazing work um and they're and they are hosting really, really, really impactful short form content and feature films. So I, I think there is um, a demand. I think people want to know more. I think everybody, you'd, you'd be hard pushed to find a human being who wants to do damage to the planet. And yet we're all doing it or they would admit it out loud. But they, mm. they don't have the resources or the skills or the kind of know-how about how to make changes or, or what is it in their lives that they can do or what, what, what kind of where they can get excited and passionate about. And it, you don't have to be an eco-warrior, vegan, tree-hugging hippie to get involved. You just need to have a little bit of, you know, just a little bit of intelligence and empathy with the planet that we're living on and, and the destruction we're doing and, and how you can make simple changes in your life to help. Um, so it's, it's, I think in terms of content, you know, I'm working into high finance companies who are trying to, you know, you know, make their boards change and that's climate driven as well. And, and, you know, there are lawyers getting involved and getting self-motivated and organizing amongst themselves to do stuff. There are, you know what I mean? NGOs, there's so many people, there's almost a movement of movements where people are like, right, we got to get our house in order in our sector and we need to kind of communicate to our colleagues what's going on and how we need to clean up our own act and then i'm hoping those dots will start to join up and sometimes it's a long form documentary on netflix that will do that um, and sometimes it's short form that can have a real you know real impact at the start of a board meeting where they can kind of go right i get it now you know what i mean so yeah they all have their place yeah sure you you mentioned you know, you mentioned nonprofits earlier on and, and you mentioned then actually, you know, business and the, the business sector tends to be more savvy. And, you know, particularly with CSR departments, sustainability departments, you know, they understand. I mean, they have the budgets as well to create, you know, decent content to to, to show the, the kind of work they're doing to, you know, supporters, consumers, stakeholders. Are, are you finding you mentioned nonprofits? That's why I bring it up. Are you you doing work in the nonprofit space? Are you. You know, you're finding that nonprofits now are becoming more savvy about getting their messages out in a through content, you know, in terms of building their own brand, if you want to call it a brand. So, yeah. What's your experience in the nonprofit space? Any different to the to the business I, space in terms of what's happening out there now? I think um, they are different. I think they um there's there's a resource issue. There's sometimes a language barrier. There's sometimes a kind of you know we just do this. We don't know how to brand ourselves, as you say. 
Um, but also you're getting some of them who've got some young people coming in, coming out of college and they're like, oh, just do it like this. Know, we'll shoot it on a phone and put it up on an Instagram mm -hmm. page. And, and suddenly you've got a really savvy young workforce who are doing stuff in terms of media and messaging and branding and all that very, very well. You know what I mean? <laughs> they're, they're yeah. doing us old filmmakers out of a job, but it's brilliant. You know what I mean? And then the corporate stuff, you, you know, um, you potentially less kind of, holding them by the hand in terms of oh you need to do this or it needs to this is the process in terms of building content or making content or you know it's, it's very easy to make a beautiful film but like nobody's going to watch it unless it's engaging and it's kind of like and it, and, it, and it you know solves the business need of that client in terms of speaking with their mm -hmm. audience and, and that's a whole process that need, needs to get worked out in the script and the script writing process and all that so they are different but I'm definitely seeing the NGOs getting smarter and cleverer and, and doing it on a budget that, you know what I mean? But, you know, using that budget well. And, and some of them are partnering up with big brands as well. I think some of the big corporates, in the, they want to be seen to be doing the right thing and not just greenwashing. So they're helping out. I'm seeing a lot of partnerships. So, um, and I always do this as well. You know, I'll do, I'll do a lot of work for an NGO for little or no money. Um, but then they'll get some sponsorship money in through a corporate client. And then, you know, that's where I can charge and not feel guilty about it. So it's, it's you know, what I mean, it's, it's a balancing act. Yeah, it's interesting, actually, what you say there about the, I mean, uh, you know, the kind of the, the younger generation, um, you know, with the, the iPhones, the ability to create content now, actually. I mean, it's been around for a while, but it's it's getting easier and easier just to create stuff that's powerful from, you kind of handset right in terms of getting messaging out there and um letting people know what's happening on the ground and stuff yeah totally and i'm i'm, I'm a big fan of moving with the mediums and and the formats as well like um for instance I'm, I'm doing my kids school video at the weekend they have an art exhibition on and myself and one of the other dads were shooting it on iphones I mean, and, yeah. and it's like I think the teachers were shocked that we're going to go in with with phones and shoot it. But like, you know, I mean, it, it's an amazing camera. You know what I mean? So, and there's no reason why you wouldn't use that device that's in your pocket. There's still a craft involved at a higher yeah. level. There's still um, an understanding that needs to go into it in terms of language and imagery and music and voiceover and tempo and beats and and that is it's very hard to learn that at school. Um, in film school or whatever, that kind of comes with experience and in, in doing it. Um, and, 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 you know, it, it's, you know, I rarely edit something that gets approved on first go. You know, you, it's a process. And I love that process. It's kind of, you know what I mean? It's, it's collaborative and, and, and you really feel a sense of achievement when everybody's kind of involved in it. Like, you know what I mean, so. Um, definitely uh, we um i remember actually when, when we had a quick kind of when we first met actually, you were talking uh, i didn't have this as a question but it is interesting because this collaboration element is i mean it's really I, I think key to the the fun of filmmaking but funnily enough collaboration has been way more challenging in the last you know 18 months you how has that kind of has that hindered you have you had to kind of change the way you do things in terms of you know, executing projects, producing, because physically not being able to move around. Um, I mean, I've spoken to people who have been moving around and filmmakers are, but have you kind of worked around that in different ways and learned new ways to kind of collaborate on projects? Yeah, well, I um, I didn't shoot that much, actually, just because <laughs> we were locked down. But um, I, again, look, 
suddenly people said, oh, we've just, you know, had this Zoom webinar thing and we need it clipped up and, you know, redesigned and repackaged. And, you know, if you could ask me when I was in film school, if I, you know, can you see yourself in 20 years time kind of editing a Zoom conference, you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> would you be getting excited about it? But then again, you know, the, some of the webinars were amazing. And again, I'm editing it. So I'm watching it several times. So it's I'm studying the content, so I'm learning so much more. So in that sense, definitely, um, I teach a course on a Friday um, here in London, virtually, but um, and it's to kind of media professionals who want to understand about climate science and who want to understand about how they can make actions to mitigate against carbon emissions. And you know, so I'm talking to 20 people a week. Um, from all different types of agencies and production companies across London and, and, and further afield. And the reason um, I mentioned this is because I do ask the question, has anybody shot remotely during lockdown? Because one of the mm. biggest carbon um, peaks um, in terms of production is travel and agencies and you know, clients flying around the world to go into a shoot or to go on recce or to do whatever. And it's pushing carbon emissions through the roof. And people couldn't do that during lockdown. So they had to learn how to shoot remotely. So you'd have a cameraman and a you know, small camera team with some talent and nobody else on set. And they were just kind of live streaming it or they were just kind of checking in every hour to make sure everything was the right color or place or shot was okay. So carbon emissions dropped dramatically because people were using technology that had already existed but they were just kind of using it in a new way that people hadn't thought about. So I'd love to see that kind of use of technology for good in, in an amazing way. So instead of having 50 people on set, you had five people. And you're, you know what I mean? It's just a huge, huge impact in, in, in carbon emissions. Um, and, and, and the other question I asked at the end of that, I said, oh, do you think anybody at home watching that commercial or content realized it was shot remotely or filmed remotely? And they all just kind of pause and they think, and then they just go, no, I don't think they do. Like, I mean, so if it's not having an impact on the levels of quality in terms of execution, then why are we emitting so many emissions to create this stuff in the first place? So there needs to be a step change in how we approach our content. So I'm a big fan, and I should mention them, Ad Green. They're a great um, organization, um, and they're closely tied with uh, the APA in London, which looks after production. But they're just pushing this kind of, we need to understand carbon. Carbon literacy has to be a thing. And it's not just people in production and content, it's people everywhere. They need to understand the value or the importance of what it is, your carbon footprint in, and then how you reduce that or mitigate. And then we measure it. And then we can say, well, look, we're still peaking here. We need to do something. And then the last thing you do is offset. So offset is good, but it's not a solution. So we're, yeah. we're on a big drive of that at the moment. And, and there, there's amazing things happening because I think the, the urgency around the 1.5 degrees in terms of atmospheric temperature, you know, the people need to understand that that is real and it's happening now. You know what I mean? So um, we need to start figuring out clever ways to kind of um, solve the problem. So yeah, that, very interesting. Yeah, go on. Sorry. Sorry. Sorry, go on. No, I was just going to say, but that's more collaboration. Um, and it's less of the type of collaboration that I've been used to, which is a small filmmaking team, but it's more of a collaboration of minds in terms of, right, how do we fix the industry? 
um, how do we come up with clever solutions and let everybody else know about these solutions? So it's a different type of collaboration for me, which I find very exciting as well. Yeah, I was going to say, it's interesting that there's a business out of Singapore. It's a, I think they're pretty much global now, head office out of Singapore called 99 Seconds, I think they're called. Um, they've been around for a while now, but interestingly, what they do is... You know, they, they, they were not focused on reducing carbon, but their business model allows them to. They, you know, what they do is if you've got, you know, got a BMW ad shoot or something like that, where you've got to go to five countries, of course, this whole impact of moving a crew around is not, not just, you know, environmentally impactful. It's also massively costly. And they basically outsource the, pro, uh, the process. So they have a project manager or a producer in-house. And then they will outsource to teams in different countries who are registered people on my platform. So it, my point is, I mean, it's, it's interesting when people start to look at, you know, in, in reducing their footprint. Often there is an economic benefit anyway. You know, it's, it's not it's often a, a kind of win win for for for, you know, organizations that start to look at reducing footprint. You know, you save money anyway. So it's kind well, of a no brainer. It should be. And I think that's. Um, the more we demonstrate that, the easier to make the argument for, you know, the business argument for going green, because you do save money. Um, so, uh, and, and it's making the world a better place. So, you know, I mean, that needs to be understood a little bit more. So people get on board a little bit quicker. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a traveler. It sounds like uh, 99 seconds is a similar one. They've just kind of remote um, kind of camera crews dotted all over. So you can still... Um, you know, get the, that footage and then they're doing a collaboration with the post company called MPC and they will kind of change the car in the shot to any color, model, whatever you want. So it's all CGI and they're kind of, their proposition is they're 50% faster, 30% cheaper and yeah, exactly reduction in terms of carbon emissions. It's not lost I to me, um, though... <laughs> within the advertising industry and marketing and all that, you know what I mean? The, the, the irony is, you know, they're still selling stuff to people that we don't <laughs> need. You know what I mean? So um, yeah, that, that is <laughs> indeed. You know what I mean? It's, oh, you've, you've made everything you know, greener, but you're still selling shit to people they don't need. So my, my argument would be um, for making better ads and for a more sustainable lifestyle, always on screen. And that is, something that we're working on here in London as well. There's a group called Purposeful Disruptors who have a, a new initiative called Change the Brief. And it's like, you know, we have to kind of stop this mad consumerism and it's well, we, but we still need to eat. We still need to buy stuff to live and survive and all the rest of it. So how do you do that um, in, in the next few years? And that's going to be massive. It's a huge step change on the horizon. So people are planning and organizing and, and figuring it out. Um, and the sooner we can get to that world, the better, I would have thought. Totally agree. I am. Um, by the way, it was 90 seconds. I should just correct myself then putting a, right. a it was not 99, but at least I put the put the right name out there. Um, I want to ask about SDGs. I know it's in your profile. I know it's it's funnily enough. It's actually how we've ended up becoming connected is is uh, because of a mutual connection. Uh, who runs an organization called the Support the Goals. Who I, I think, I don't know if you know, but it's come somehow through that connection. But you know, the SDGs are interesting. You, you talk about them. And I was on a call just today and I, I sometimes, I think I sometimes assume everyone, you know, knows about them. And then you're on a call with, you know, someone in business and, and, and no idea. It seems for me, there is still a segment of um, 
the business world predominantly, not just because obviously there's a lot in schools now and everything else that talk about the UN Sustainable Development Goals. And, you know, you obviously see them, in, see them as important. You've, you've kind of quoted the relevance on your website. Are they creeping into content? Are you seeing people use them as a framework to go out and promote via content what they're doing? Um, yeah, I just wanted to touch on that with you because because it was in your profile and, and, and obviously something you think about. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of them um, for lots of reasons. I think there's an architecture there, there's a structure, there's a framework that kind of gives people goals to work towards. And I think that helps enormously. I think to the layperson on the street, they've never heard of them. And if mm. they do hear of them, like they're kind of abstract in the sense that, you know, you know, goal number two, you know, zero hunger. And it's kind of like, well, you know, how, how could you possibly even, you know, achieve that? And, and Banky Moon's, you know, one of his phrases was about, you know, you know, we're, we're finally in a position on planet Earth where we have enough food. You know, we, we're the first generation that can feed everybody on the planet, but we're the last generation to, do, to be able to do anything about climate change. And that reads like a tagline to a disaster movie. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, you know, <laughs> yeah, we're the first to feed Indeed. everybody, but oh no, we're the last generation that can do something about climate change. And I think some of the goals, um, like there's 17 goals, there's 169, you know, drop down goals within those goals and they're all interconnected to, you know, you can't fix one without fixing the other and they all need to go along. Um, my biggest problem with them really is um, like, well, number one, so many countries signed up to them, which is brilliant because, you know, everybody recognized it was a problem. Um, and as a signatory, you're obliged to educate your citizens about them. And I haven't seen that anywhere from what I can see in terms of governments going, right, this needs to be on the curriculum. This needs to be spoken at the school gate in cafes. Everybody needs to know, because if we don't know about them, how are we supposed to understand them? And if you don't understand them, how are you supposed to act on that? So for me, it was, it, I think they're a little bit abstract in that sense. I, I sometimes find myself in echo chambers because I'm just so into my environmentalism. And like you, I'm surprised when people haven't heard about them. Um, so I think they are creeping up. I think more people are using them when they get together to kind of go, right, what are we addressing? And they're putting up three goals because whatever project they're working on is addressing three of those things. Um, there's a group called Chapter Zero here in, in London as well, who are kind of really pushing them. Meaningful business are all about the goals and how they can be interconnected. I think somehow, and when you think about the global goals, what they launched in 2015, 15 year run into 2030. So it's not that long ago since they were established and they were a long time in the writing, but they've kind of been superseded by the 1.5 and the climate change. Like there are so many related issues that go into the goals, but you know, if if we if we don't address the issues around carbon and climate change, we we have no possibility of addressing the rest of the goals. So I I kind of feel they've been superseded a little bit, and I think you know, for instance, recently at the G7 here in the UK and later in the year at COP26 in Glasgow. I think carbon emissions and how we mitigate against carbon and how we trade carbon and how we offset carbon, I think that's going to be the huge contention and the real headline grabber for, for, for COP and the negotiations are continuing about how to do that. But you know, it, it's I, for me, I think 
you know, global warming is, it's, it's something that's, it's, it should be something that's happening for us, not to us, if that makes sense. You know, yeah. it should be an opportunity for us to kind of go, right, you know, we've been plowing ahead with this way of living and these structures and systems thinkings. So this is an opportunity for us to reset. So we should view it as something that's happening for us rather than to us. And that slight little shift in thinking opens up a load of possibilities and positivity in terms of, right, what solutions, what, what's been broken that we can fix and don't look at it in the way that we set the problem up, you need to come at it from a different angle. Because a lot of the world's problems, if you try and fix them with the same reasoning that you know started the problem in the first place, you're not really going to solve it. So just new innovative ways of looking at things. And I think that's, for me, I'm positive. I, I'm, a, I'm a positive person. I like to think that there are opportunities and good things to happen out of all this. Um, but that's, that's not every day. The goals are challenging. They're huge. They're, you know, you know, there you, you'd be hard pushed to see them all being solved in what's left now, nine years before 2030. So like, you know, yeah, you know, you get depressed thinking about it in that sense. But I think, yeah, that I, I like that I notion of global warming is something that's happening for us and not to us. And that 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 keeps me going. That's a yeah, I'd never heard that. I like it. It's a it's a good. um, Yeah, it's a good statement. And I I think I would say underwritten by. In a, in a positive way by the kind of generations that are coming up through the, um, you know, come, the, the, the kind of newer generations coming in that aren't maybe blinkered and have new ideas. And, um, you know, I don't include myself in there and getting on now, getting a bit old, trying to keep positive. But I think <laughs> fresh minds really help to bring, you know, innovation to, to, to a space like this where you really need it. So, yeah. And I think that there, like, there are signs there about, um, like Gen Z or whatever label the media wants to put on them, you know, um, they get it. Um, they get it much quicker than we did or our people who went before us. And, you know, even in terms of consuming stuff, like I, I read recently, like they're, they're more into experiential. So it's kind of like the experience of mm. doing something is a lot more valuable in terms of community and memory and bonds as opposed to coming away with a piece of tat memorabilia from the whatever thing you did. You know what I mean? So that, that, that kind of thinking has to be the way forward. And it's, a, you know, you build out on that. And, and, and there's a huge generation and we shouldn't kind of let this hour go past without mentioning Greta Thunberg and, and, and what she's done in terms of mobilizing that voice and just let it be heard that they won't stand for it. And, and I think she's, you know, they see in her a beacon of kind of, right, you know, we're not going to do the same way that it's been done before. And that gives me great hope as well, definitely. Is she, to, just to talk about her a bit, I think when we first chatted, we, we mentioned her briefly. She, you know, do you feel that Greta was a moment in time and, and you know, there to really create the, to create the, noise is the wrong word, but, to create the movement she did at that point in time. And, and I, you know, she's obviously still there, but the media is kind of different around it and there's been motivation from it or, you know, do we need a hundred more Greta Thunbergs with different views, with the ability to execute and what, what's your kind of view? Really interested to hear, you know, um, what, well, I, what, I, well, look, I, you know I mean, um, you know, I think what she's done is amazing. I watched the recent documentary about her and you know what I mean? Like, you know, she, 
she just went down the road and sat outside the parliament in Sweden and just said, I'm not going to school today. Like, it was as simple as that. And I loved yeah. the simplicity of that and the elegance of it and just the kind of singularity of thought kind of going, you know, no. Um, and also just that kind of tipping point in terms of, you know, I don't know what the numbers were, but, you know, a few people joined her the next week and a few more and a few more, and then the media picks up on it. And the media love a good story about this. But the poor girl is blue in the face telling, you know, Davos or the UN about, you know what I mean, you need to change or you need to kind of, you know, our house is on fire or, you know what I mean, all these statements. And, and they love her in the room because she's a celebrity. Um, but, you know what I mean, they're not really listening to her. And then they ask her questions and she's like, don't ask me, ask the scientists. So, and I know she has Asperger's, which I think allows her to be so direct and so honest um, and it's almost that emperor's new clothes thing where he kind of like, I mean, God, we all knew this. You know, she's just saying stuff we knew, but she's saying it in such a direct fashion that yeah. um, it's hard to ignore her. And I think that's inspiring. It needed somebody like that. You know, it necessarily have to be Greta, but it, it needed that honesty and clarity of thought for people to kind of get on board with it. Like, and I think she, you know, that, that you know, is spectacular was what she does. And she keeps it simple and honest and doesn't complicate things. Um, or doesn't try to, you know, uh, you know, I've read recently as well, she's been awarded so much money in terms of this environmental award. And she doesn't take any of the money. She's not in it for any of that celebrity or money. She's in it because she cares. Um, and I think young people see that um, and old people as well. You know what I mean? So it's, um, it's, 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 it's helping. Um, I don't know if it's helping immediately, but it will have that kind of uh, granular knock on effect as, as like when you, if you think about it, um, somebody who is, when did Greta come on the scene, you know, three or four years ago, you know, somebody maybe in their mid twenties, then in 10 years time, they're going to be mid thirties, you know, CEOs of startups or major corporations, they're going to be in positions of power where they can actually not have to listen to shareholders, there'll be stakeholders and they're, 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 you know, using brands and money and positions of power to do the right thing. Um, that's a green wave that's on its way. So, you know, ignore it at your peril, um, but try keep pushing that message out there. Like, I mean, is, is, is what I'm trying to do anyway. Yeah. I mean, I think I remember actually seeing the thing that I, my, the strongest memory for me of, of, you know, the kind of when it was probably three years ago, right, when Greta was mostly kind of in the media, but was just the effect on my nieces and how I could see. And like you say, that's not an effect that will have any difference tomorrow. But in 10 years, yeah, it really will. And there is there are millions upon millions of people like that, which is really important. And I think it goes back to actually, you know, the beginning of this conversation and the importance of content delivered in the right way to create influence that's positive to create change that's needed so yeah definitely yeah. and I, I think it's um it's incumbent on all of us to try and educate ourselves about these things and um, i feel like i've gone back to university in the last few years in terms of the books i've been reading or just kind of the insights of them and there's so much out there so it's 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 important that we kind of um do our bit and, but, but there's loads of interrelated issues as well around gender mm around race, around distribution of wealth, you know what I mean? And they're all kind of related to climate because it's, it's funny how that has happened. It's not one, you know, you, 
I don't know if you remember, like the, the ozone layer, the hole in the ozone layer, they figured, oh, that's just, you know, the aerosols. We need to stop using aerosols in the refrigeration unit. And look, we've pretty much fixed the ozone layer. Climate change is not like that, where it's one simple technological fix. It's definitely a lot more complicated and tractable, and, but it affects so many different people in so many different ways. So I think the future we can build is based on kind of like, right, fixing climate change but how do we do that oh we have to be nicer we have to look after each other more we have to build communities we have to you know do things that don't pollute and that psyche that kind of you know gets you know that step change that builds that kind of world um will we'll just make the world a better place so cool look mark it's been good to chat i didn't have anything else unless there is anything i didn't ask that you'd like to share otherwise i'll just get you to share you know any kind of links where people can go and learn more about you get in touch um yeah uh, yeah no put up a link to my website you know always happy to have a chat or if uh anybody wants to email me or get in touch i'm always happy for meeting new people cool well it's been good and we will continue to talk so um yeah cheers for jumping on and i will uh yeah leave you to your day it's getting to the evening here so good good to meet you mark and cheers for joining the podcast always a pleasure man thanks for having me on Hey, thanks for listening to the Task Podcast and hope you found it interesting. If you'd like to get in touch and have a chat with myself, Matt, or one of the team, then we are at hello at task.io and we'd love to speak to you. Cheers. Cheers.